I want to go to Joel chapter 2, verse 25, and I want to talk to you, brag about the God of restoration. I like the name restoration, don't you? How God can take something and improve it, bring it back, revive it, fix it. And I want to talk to you about how vital restoration is to our spiritual walk. But I want to go to an Old Testament prophet named Joel, and his message were bumped up into the New Testament context in the first sermon that Peter preached after the upper room. And it's famous, he's famous primarily for that snapshot where Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all, all flesh. It is a, it's a profound prophecy. It's way up there with Isaiah. In fact, I don't understand why they call Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel the major prophets and all these other guys get schlepped off to the side as minor prophets. I think we're going to get to heaven in Hosea and these guys, uh, they're going to say, hey man, I was not minor. So anyway, none of us are, nothing really is because little things matter. Uh, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could command a mountain to be moved. Also on the other side, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. In another verse, uh, little foxes spoil the vine. Yet, you know, in another verse, uh, you know, just, just that little bit of pressing in will cause us to see a tremendous, amazing result. Even this little bit moment we have, 30 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, can prove to be monumental in the shifting of our thinking. In fact, in Jesus' name, I pray it will be that way. As, as I've come here to pastor you and to minister to you, this word is, is burning in my heart. Last week, I talked about Gideon and the army rendered down so they could get the job done to his glory. And today I have this scripture for you from Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. It says here in the New King James, the word restoration. So I will restore to you. Everybody say restore. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, consuming locust, chewing locust. Uh, interesting terms. And, and, and why would there be so many descriptions of the functions of locusts? Because in our lives, some things are nagging and gnawing. Some things are very abrupt and immediate, urgent. But all of it indicates a takeaway. And I've just got through reading in the book of Exodus about the curse in Egypt of the locusts. And it said that there, there were never as many locusts uh, up to that point or ever will be. And yet in 2020, along with all the other crazy things we've had to deal with, among those many things, one of them was uh, locusts hit a country. And I, you know, it was, it, it's like this is at biblical proportion. Well, it certainly was in the ancient Israel period. It certainly was in the early church period. And in fact, as long as we're alive, we're going to have to deal with the fact that humanity has fallen and we live in a fallen world. It's beautiful, but it's fractured. And so it just helps us as thinking believers, as Christians, to understand that that none of that takes God by surprise. It's actually as the Bible describes it. This is the most plausible reference point there is in life. God's word is his word, and it's true, and it lays out our, our inception. It lays out God's creation. It gives detail about how he did it. He said, let there be light, and there was light. 
The Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters. God did great and amazing things, gave Adam and Eve free will. They unfortunately forfeited their prize, caused all kinds of calamity to fall on the earth. And yet at the proper time, the law came forward to the Jewish people to indicate what God's commands are, parameters are, absolutes are, what his likes and dislikes are, teaching them their way, God's ways, but yet showing them it's impossible to fulfill all these technical responsibilities in your own human power, so there must be a redeemer. All the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. It shows us, I can't do this on my own power, no matter how committed, no matter how pious, no matter how subservient I try to be to these things. In some point, if we fall short on one thing, we failed in all of them. So there's a built-in defeat, actually. God doesn't, God doesn't put defeat on us. He just wants to underscore that with, without God, we can't do these things. And yet with him, Mark chapter 9, verse 23 says, with God, all things are possible. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Philippians 4.13. That means abasing, abounding, getting along in humble means, getting along in abundance. Our church has enjoyed the richness of having a vacation Bible school with 6,000 kids, 1,500 volunteers, tens of thousands of families being touched by the gospel of Jesus. We've had Easter where we've had 10,000 people on our campus. You know, we've had such an amazing surge at Christmas times where we'd sing and, and use those moments to enrich people's lives, and we would have routinely elderly folks' homes uh, and uh, assisted living homes bringing in busloads of people along with families and young people and video cameras and a lot of amazing things. We had revival meetings here. We've had some, some of the most breathtaking uh, guest speakers over the decades. We've had, you know, uh, amazing hallmark moments, and yet for us, the best is yet to come. We've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this, and this implies, restoration implies that there's a need for restoration. There was an allowance for all this attack. Uh, things fell apart there in the, in the time of Joel, just like in the time of Gideon, just like in the early church period where the Roman religion, the, the idolatry wasn't fulfilling or satisfying any of humans' needs all the decadence, all the opulence, all the instant gratification, very similar to modern times, wasn't satisfying anybody. Uh, Judaism had reached a sort of cold, uh, dreary formalism, and it was Jesus got up in the middle of all of it and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he said, I'll bring fulfillment. He told the lady at the well, if you drink from the well and the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again satisfaction guaranteed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Joel is prophesying in his context, but then also as all prophecy is also ahead of time. It's, it transcends the increments of its own time. And this idea is not just eluding us. It wasn't just for a moment, a snapshot in antiquity. He restores the years the locust has eaten. I was invited to speak in uh, Auckland, New Zealand in Pastor Paul DeYoung's church. I was, I was at a building. Uh, we were having praise and worship. I was standing at the altar. I, I had my tie on and I had my, uh, my, they had given me one of these microphones. I had it clipped onto my tie. I had my back to the crowd. Pastor Paul got up and he said, hey, everybody, why don't you pray for one another? So we had this prayer time and um, I just walked forward a little bit in this this lady had her, put her hand on my shoulder and prayed for me. And she said, the years the locust has eaten. And so I turned around and I was going to thank her. 
I, I, I got an, I, I looked at her and I asked the pastor, hey, um, you know, is she credible, you know? Because you got to test what people say to you, you know? And I, I wasn't suspicious. I just didn't know her. I was from out of town. He said, oh, yeah, she, she used to work for Reinhard Bonnke. And uh, which I thought that was credibility and personal, relational, you know. And she said, I didn't know you were the speaker because she saw my microphone, she, but she just had that word. And I thought it was great, too. She didn't try to elaborate on it. She didn't try to put a spin doctoring on it. She just gave me that simple scripture. Say this with me. The Lord will restore the years the locust has eaten. And you know, it was interesting, and that word came in handy because two days later, after I preached about six times, I had preached here all weekend, got in an airplane, flew across the international dateline, landed on my feet, preached, 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 got into a car, drove for eight hours, got in a boat, went out 80 miles, miles off the shore to go spearfishing with my friends, I being the novice, they being more uh, astute. I said, hey, you guys, give me some tips. And they were so, so obsessed about catching fish that they didn't bother to, to kind of warn me. There's a buddy system, but when you have a spear, you don't want to be too close to your friends with the spear. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's counterintuitive. It's like, well, we're to be close, but we're, you know. So I was in this juxtaposition between, I've got this loaded weapon that you see on James Bond, and we're going to go shoot fish, which we ended up, Paul caught a 66-pound yellowtail. So these were fish almost the size of a human being, you know. So we were not, I mean, they would, you'd shoot them, and they'd haul you all around. Well, I got lost at sea within about 15, 20 minutes. I got pulled out like a, vac in, uh, uh, a washing machine on the, on the spin cycle out into past these rocks. And without elaborating on it, while I was out there, I thought about God restoring the years the locust is eating. I thought about God's restoration. I just, that lady just prayed for me and imparted something into me, and I was able to meditate on it while I was bobbing up and down in the ink black ocean, lost at sea. Everybody say lost at sea. So you've heard me share it because you've been my therapy session during those about a year and a half or two years. Every service you heard me restate the story, and God did deliver me. And this is holy. God was giving Israel a heads up that he was going to restore for what the, the, the swarming locust had done, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. God was going to restore. Now, the word restore is vital to our spiritual walk. It's vital. It refers to more than just bringing something back that is missing or has been taken away. When the Lord speaks about restoration, he means bringing back the missing or the lost ingredients so that a person can complete and finalize the very things he or she started out to do in their life. Listen, this is a reminder. It's echoed in, in, to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 with John on the Isle of Patmos, the revelation of Jesus Christ, where he said, hey, Ephesian church, you're doing a good job. You're not putting up with false apostles. You're staying on point with good doctrine. You're doing a good job persevering. You're doing a good job with good works. But man, this one thing I, I have against you, you, you need to get back to your first love. I remember when we got married and we were all hearts and flowers and it was fiery, man. I was attracted to this girl. And of course she was attracted to me. But anyway, <laughs> then we got cranked out baby after baby after baby after baby. And we had a 
We were one of the first with a minivan. We had a burgundy Plymouth minivan. And it had a sticker on the back, Go Perry's, from a, from a Welsh uh, car dealership. It said, Go Perry's, and somebody gave it to me when we were preaching in Wales. So we stuck it on there, and it said, Go Perry's. And uh, we went, we got, if you brought a Coke can, you could get a discount to Six Flags. And we were scraping pennies together. We had bought a house, our first house. We had two of our babies in a, in, as apartment dwellers. We finally got a start to get a, a starter home. The interest rate for, for loans at the time was what, 13, 15%, 16%, and it was crazy. Everybody say crazy. But somehow, by the grace of God, the Lord supplied. We found favor with the, the bank officer. She took a liking to us and helped us to get situated and set up. We got in a, oh, a 1960s track home that had been neglected, and so we started to restore it. We were way ahead of all this fad of flipping houses. We were way ahead. So I was hanging drywall. I, was, I had a friend help me fix this, the staircase and replace the, the ugly wrought iron with uh, more a beautiful uh, uh, red oak. And it looked beautiful. We hung grass cloth wallpaper. Wallpaper was popular in the early 80s when we hung this wallpaper. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to test whether you can marry somebody, Pre-marriage counseling, if you go and try to hang wallpaper and you make it through the wallpaper, you will have a great marriage. Because I would hang that stuff and that, yeah, anyway. And what started out all sweet and fresh, sometimes life would bear down on us and we would get, it would be kind of dreary. We would just at the end of the day, just kind of look at each other and wonder, what do we get into, you know? And I, I could speak for her. We're candid about this. We walked through some of these things. But we, you know, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll was teaching about re-strike the original match, have the original fire. And he was talking about marriage. And he was older than us, and he was a good preacher and uh, was good material. T.L. Osborne stood here and downloaded the fiery beauty of pioneer evangelism. Brother Hagen was such, such an interesting person. We had Dick Mills come here. He's one of the most articulate preachers I've ever heard in my life. And to become friends with Reinhard Bonnke at the end of his life was such a privilege. And for us, yet the best is yet to come. We restored that house, and in one year we sold it, and I, made, I figured out I made $1,000 per month. And I had put all that sweat equity in there, and that was good for us at the time. And we were then able to buy a new place out here where God was calling us. And it was beautiful uh, three acres, old farmhouse. My, I brought my dad up there to look at it, and he said, well, the, the property's beautiful, but the house. He said, has Patsy going to, I'm concerned about Patsy. And he was, he was right in placing his concern because that thing was a teardown. Everybody say teardown. It was a teardown then. I mean, they had neglected it. It was an old farmhouse from 1924. It said 1924 in the concrete in the basement. And it had not really been upgraded since. Had beautiful woodwork, you know, at stucco, simple cheap house for its time. It was the overseeing farmhouse of about a 300-acre farm. And then they sold the tract land for a subdivision and so forth, and then the guy built another house in the 50s down the street, which has actually since been torn down. But we put a lot of effort into it, and um, we restored it. Everybody say restore. restore. And what we did is we... We upgraded what we could. The, the, the ball and socket wiring was dangerous. We put 
drywall over the lath and plaster walls that were cracked. I jacked up the floor with a, a, a floor jack in the basement to try to level it up. And uh, we tried to make something of it. We'd, we'd have times of praise and worship in the house, and we'd start bouncing and dancing in there, and you could, you could feel the stress on that old white, uh, yellow pine floor. It was like boing, boing. It was like one of those little trampolines. It was amazing. And we just wondered if, we wondered what worship time we would have where the whole walls would, all the house would collapse. But we did have great times. We prayed for you in that, that house. We prayed for this moment in that house. We prayed for this period. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday night, we prayed and prayed and prayed. We held back darkness. We held up our shields of faith. We believed God for his purposes to come to pass in the future. Many of you weren't even involved or situated here at that point, but we prophetically saw God was gonna gather people from the north, south, east, and west, and God wanted us to build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world, and for us, the best is yet to come. The original vision on your life can be and will be realized when you understand that God is going to restore the original spiritual components and the original call that he initially initiated. He will bring all these things back together. Case in point, with Joseph, God gave him a dream. His dream caused conflict. Envy and jealousy were elicited in his own brothers, and I've seen that in ministry. And strife came. An attack came, and, it, and he got thrown into a hole. And uh, fortunately, Judah and Reuben intervened and said, don't kill him, let's just sell him to slavery. Praise the Lord for that. He went off into slavery. He went into Potiphar's house, to, and as a servant, he rose to the top because of his calling, gifting, proficiency. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife took a lustful liking to him, pursued him over and over again, though Joseph didn't wear down to her temptation kept running from her. Then one day she had made advances. He ran away, pulled her, his coat off, and uh, she got offended. A woman scorned, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. She lied and accused him of something she in fact did, where her husband immediately believed uh, her and not him, put him in jail for 13 years or so. He didn't stagnate in that setting. He rose to the top. No matter how much you shake fresh milk, the cream always rises to the top. The believers that are called are going to see restoration. And God actually brought Joseph forth, not in human manipulation, not through some sort of contrivances, not through some technique or methodology, but by the grace of God, God's going to see each one of you through. You parents, your kids are going to make it in life. Married people, God can breathe fresh fire into your heart and make you sweethearts again. When I was a young preacher, there was a lady that would meet me at the door and routinely would say, oh, little preacher boy, aren't you excited? And she couldn't wait until life would sucker punch the stuffing out of me and my bright eyes would go dull. And she, and she would meet at the door with a wet blanket. You know, I'd have enough fight and trouble and challenge outside, but when I come to church, I thought at least there'll be a haven here for the fire to be uh, a fan, the fuel to come and the flames to burn. But here would be a Christian who felt obligated to put a wet blanket on me over and over and over for seven straight years. And it, it was amazing, a voice of belittlement. I'm not bitter toward her. She's in heaven. I forgive her. I forgave her a long time ago. I attribute it to some probably disappointments in her life. 
and what the enemy meant for harm anyway, God turned around for good. You know, I have a friend who battled cancer as a young man. He had to have treatments. He had to have radiation and chemo. The radiation, unfortunately, damaged his digestive system. And then he had trouble after from the cancer and from the treatment in his case. But yet, he said, I wouldn't trade anything for anything because all these situations have made me who I am. I am my life is what it is. And that's the same thing that John Wesley even said. He wasn't like, I, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, I rather have had, I wish I could have. You don't hear that kind of false reminiscence in Joseph either. Because when Jacob died, the father, the kids were concerned that Joseph would recant on his mercy and he'd get bitter toward them again in his power position in Egypt. And he assured them at the end of Genesis in chapter 50, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to turn on you. I'm not going to betray you. I love you. I forgive you for you throwing me into a hole and you messing with me because what you meant for harm, God turned around for good. And that is a redemptive viewpoint. And you see this in this chapter where he says, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten, the swarming, the creeping, the gnawing, the bearing down on. And you read these stories of people like Gideon in a cave. You read about Joseph in a prison. You read about Paul from the Roman prison writing, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's hard fought and it becomes very, very pertinent. And you see where it's birth. You see where it's coming from. Even John Wesley, he said, man, I would not change anything in my life. I, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I'm motoring through. That guy was anointed by the Holy Spirit in Britain. Patsy and I wanted to live in England. We wanted to preach there. We were going to base out of there after we left Bible school, but God had us come back here through a time of fasting, get back to St. Louis. This was what God originally had envisioned for us to do, build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. We thought we could go to England. We even tried it again in London, and it just, it just didn't have the touch of God on it. So, But you got to go where God wants to uh, take you to his original purpose. Can I tell you, God has a plan for each one of us. Can I tell you, we're all part of the body of Christ and he's the head and that you individually matter to God and that you as a person, God, you could take this verse personally. God will restore to you for the years the locust has eaten. And you stand on that and you, you anticipate that and you trust God for that. You would say, God, well, how, whatever this is gonna look like. And even in self-inflicted misery with, with David, he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That was his Psalm 51 repentance after killing Uriah and going after Bathsheba. Terrible moment, terrible evil, but yet repentance. And in that moment of repentance, he said, God, restore to me the, years the, restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach sinners your way and, and lost souls will be converted to you. We're in a transitional moment. And in this transitional moment, we've got to be focused. We've got to get our eyes on things like this. We've got to stay alert, have our heads up. Like last week, I talked about Gideon's army. 10,000 people, they knelt down and they were drinking water like this out of the water, lapping like this. But there were 300 that went like this. And they had their eyes up. And I'm telling you by the Spirit, what Joel told the ancient Israel, and then what was bumped up into the New Testament context. You got the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, and some marvelous things are going to take place. God, in fact, wants to restore the church. 
to the prototype early beginnings of the, the book of Acts. He's doing it right now. I want to urge you to remain calm in this moment and decide to be unoffendable by people, by setbacks, or by, in fact, any situation or circumstance. If you and I position ourselves to refuse to be offended, we work at staying in the love walk. We work at not carrying a root of bitterness. And some of us, it's hard. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us will never forget some of those hurts. Well, I thought you're supposed to forgive and forget. I wish. I wish I had the kind of brain inclination where I forget all those offenses. But I do know that out of what the scripture teaches, uh, offenses are inevitable, and yet we don't have to be dominated or governed by them. We can learn from them. We can learn from them. David learned from self-inflicted misery. You could see the showcase of Psalm 51. It's brutally honest. God, I sinned against you only, and I repent, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. What a model. And he longed for that new creation that we now have in Christ. You guys, if anyone's in Christ, he or she's a brand new creation, which indicates restoration as a pattern. Jesus is a, he's oriented toward restoration. You read about how he'd leave the 99 sheep to go get the one. You read about the prodigal father looking back for his prodigal son to come back. You read about how the girl lost a coin and she lit a lamp and she called her friends and she looked and looked and looked till she found it. When she found it, she rejoiced. You see how God is wanting to fan the flames. A smoldering wick he will not blow out. He won't just go, oh, you're kind of a half-baked, you're kind of just halfway Christian. I'm done with you. No, he fans the flames, fans the flames. Some of the greatest testimonies of our time that are coming upon us will be believers that thought they were left out and ignored and stepped over and passed by. And yet God will fan the flames. God will revive. God will restore. And your testimony with tears in your eyes will be, God's been so good to me. Let me tell you how merciful my God is. It will not sound anything like how sophisticated and how self-centered and how preoccupied with self, that's all burning out right now in 2020. What's emerging now are humble-hearted people who understand God knows them in the high times and the hard times. Even if you make your bed in hell, he's there. He's with you in trouble. When that lady prophesied to me in the meeting, it was great because it came in handy when I was floating out in the ocean and nobody knew where I was. God will restore me. God will heal me. God will find me. He would leave all the sheep to go find one. To be able to come back from that moment, to tell you and to, live, to be able to live another day, I feel responsible to preach as though I'm alive from the dead because I am. And to tell you God can raise the dead and God can bring you back into restoration. I will make up to you the years the low. I'm going to make it up to you. That's a great example. I will restore to you. What great words. I'll make it up to you. I'll compensate. It's the law of compensation. And if you get in this morbid thing and you don't understand God's favor, you can start playing into this depressing kind of ghoulish life where you're just kind of, I can't wait until this is over. No, 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 no. Man, we've got to get a hold of the value of existence and give it up in, in, as a treasured gift. The, this week I said, God, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that you let me live. Thank you that I get to be alive in this time. 
Thank you for my existence. Thank you, God. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to take it lightly. God, I thank you that while I have breath in me, I want to give you praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Decide to be unoffendable. Decide to, to understand and believe and embrace this idea that God can restore you to physical soundness. And, you know, we're told by doctors there's some ailments, there's no hope for recovery. And yet, with God, he is a God of healing. Heal us and we'll be healed. Save us and we'll be saved. As I talked about joy or happiness in Psalm 51:12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. There are elements that are important in this hour. And there are some things that the enemy has tried to fight to make secondary that God wants to make primary. That happened in the Ephesian church in Revelation 2. Man, you're doing great. You're persevering, bearing good fruit. You're not putting up with false apostles. You're doing good works. But this one thing I have against you, you've lost that first love. When we were married, we saw, and I pastored and counseled, and I saw people older than me that allowed dreariness to come on the relationship. So we decided when we have an empty nest, if and when we ever have an empty nest and all that kind of thing, that you know, we're gonna adjust so that we are sweethearts throughout the whole course. He said in Revelation about restoration, he said, remember, repent, and do. Amazing. Remember where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Now, I wanna tell you, one time I was I wishing I was the person I was when I wanted to be the person I am now. Kind of a stupid, weird, quirky reminiscence. It sounds really cute. I think it was a spray-painted uh, graffiti message on a subway in London or something. And it's like, oh, that's so, you know, and I talked to somebody about it, and they said, no, you don't. You don't want to be who you were. You want to be who you are going forward, developing and maturing. Right. And, and, and taking on the value of all the experiences you've had, all the transitional times you've had, it, because that, in fact, is what's forming us. That's, in fact, our journey. And we need to understand that God it will restore to us for the years the locust has eaten. And along the way, not all of it has been God. Not everything that's happened to us has been God, but everything that's happened to us will be used by God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't do everything, but he causes everything to work together for good. He said, I'm going to restore to you. I'm going to make up to you for the years the locust has eaten. And when you catch this, see, some people say, Pastor Jeff, don't you feel obligated to preach a certain amount of hellfire and damnation? Don't you feel like you're supposed to preach some condemnation? If I was in the Old Covenant, it would be a ministry of condemnation, and then I would have to preach condemnation. But in the New Testament, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is it candy-coated? No, it's blood-coated by the blood of Jesus. And because Jesus died, that's why I preach good news. And I preach good news, and the good news is that there's mercy that triumphs over judgment. And yes, there is conviction, and yes, there is a need for repentance, and yes, there is a need for correction. But listen, there is the heavy bearing down of the power of a redemption, restoration, and righteousness that is going to lift us up and, and create in us that surge of the joy, restoring to us not the morbidity of our salvation, not the depression of our salvation, not the anxiety of trying to live out all these technical 
little doodads for the, for the faith, but the joy of our salvation is that Jesus has set us free from sin consciousness, made us new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he'll restore to you for the years of locusts is eaten. So I'm going to just tell you, Patsy and I have had some decades of challenge. And I'm not going to whine about it, though, because I, just as soon as I start whining about it, somebody comes along and tells me a testimony, and I realize it could have been a lot worse for me. And it helps me to get out of self-pity. It helps me to get out of the paralysis of analysis. It helps me to get out of, whoa, God, why, God, why, God, why? No, it's like, God, God, first of all, it could have been a lot worse. Secondly, some of it was self-inflicted misery, so I could repent of all that. Some of it was imposed by unkind people, but I'm supposed to forgive them. And so I do, because if I make sure and you make sure that we decide today to be unoffendable by people, by setbacks, or by any circumstance or situation, then we can get positioned in this realm that God will restore to us the years the locust has eaten, the crawling, gnawing, creeping, swarming, all the variables of that. And isn't it amazing the way that talks about that? This will take the tension out of you. This will bring healing to your mood and your mind. This is how we forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. There's no time to stew in the past. There's no time to live in the morbidity of it. And there's no time for me to finish my message. I'm running out of time, but let's go back to this verse. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Can I ask you a question? Who in here would be glad to see that come to pass in your life? Be honest with me. Who in it where you've had pockets where it's like, man, I, God, there's a pony in there somewhere, if you know the joke about that. God, there's, in the midst of all this manure pile, there's a pony in there somewhere. If you don't know the story, Google it, and you can read about it. Reagan quoted it, and I don't, know that he, I don't think he originated it, but it's just basically talking about how we look at our stuff. What is there a verse? He'll redeem our life from the dung heap? I mean, it's going... I might as well just go with the flow on this. It's biblical, but I don't want to be too crude. God has a plan. God is preparing a way for us. During these unique transitional times, it's important that we stay focused. Eyes on him. Stay alert, but not anxious. Like the 300 in Gideon's army. That we remain calm. What does it say in Britain? Be calm and carry on. Decide to be unoffendable by people, by setbacks, by every circumstance and every situation. And embrace the one who said through Joel, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten. I will restore it. I'll redeem it. I'll make it valuable. I'll turn your test into a testimony. I'll turn your your mess into a message. I'll turn your dysfunction into function. I'll turn your mistakes, if you'll listen, into lessons learned. And I'll raise you up because God has designed the church for signs and wonders to follow. God's hand is on you. God's put his life in you. He's given you his redemption, and he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm advocating for a 
a really broken world right now outside these four walls. While we're socially distanced, while we weren't able to have church for three months, you think about restaurant restaurateurs that had to close their doors again. You think about school teachers trying to figure out how, how do we teach these moving targets? Well, God is healing some things in the process. Families are coming together closer. There is going to be tremendous, uh, yeah, there will be change and it will be for the good. There'll be restoration. Church will be better than it's ever been. Church will be full. Church will be full of the Holy Spirit. Church will be full of people hungry for God. Church will be full of signs, wonders, and miracles. They'll become routine to where then God has to say, now these are extraordinary miracles because there will just be a category called ordinary miracles. We had visitors come week after week getting healed and then telling us, yeah, I'm glad I visited your church because I got healed. Just over and over again. It's happening all the time. The ones I hear about are great. I don't have a means to really collect the information except that, that God's faithful to bring it to us. Let me just tell you, in Jesus, he can renew your strength, renew your vision. In Isaiah 58, 12, it says he'll renew our paths, the streets in which to dwell. During times of spiritual decline, darkness in society, God leads us in paths for service, for fruitfulness. As revival comes, the path leading home to the Father's house becomes clearer and clearer and clearer to people. Friday night, a woman said, my niece is coming to church. She's given her life to Jesus. How old is she? 18. Just got saved. So while I was preaching, I looked over. She and her boyfriend were over there. They didn't know I knew, but I looked at them. I just thought, this is the dream that I've held to through thick and thin. When I was lost at sea, when I had struggles, when I got backstabbed, when I, we, got, we went through high times and hard times, when it looked like there was such pervasive, cl looming clouds of discouragement, despair was such a temptation. And yet, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. The word hostility is the Greek word antilogio, which means against the word. There's so much resistance to God's word, but the word of God is so forceful and powerful. It's living and active and sharper than his two-edged sword. No matter how smug society gets, people say, listen, let's stop faith within a 40-year period and have a utopian society. That is pure bull. God is only pleased by faith. So we will not lose a generation. When I was in Kosovo and I heard the hostility between the Serbians and the Kosovars, I thought, okay, if we don't step in and help, they'll keep repeating the cycles of strife. And I talked to people who were really aware of societies there. They said this keeps reoccurring. It's been going on for hundreds of years. I thought the only thing that could heal it is the gospel. So we went in there and we labored and it was painful. Sweat, equity, it did not get reinforced in the natural for two decades. It was so hard fought, but God did it. We came out here, and there was nothing. God pioneered us here. He knew what was going to happen. He planted us here. This is going to last. Look, societies come and go, and there's suburban sprawl, and there's all this 
shifting and all the, you know, urbanization and gentrification and all the social stuff we see come and go, come and go. But God planted us out here when a man had an old, he had a big farm up here and he liked our ministry. He was respectful to me. He said, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire and move and I want to sell this, but I don't want it to be a subdivision. I, I'd love it to be your church. I see you have a giant vision. You're going to need about 35 acres. That's what I have here. I drove on a four wheeler with it. I was very appreciative of his kindness. He was going to sell it for a fair price, but we weren't supposed to be embedded up in the, the woods up on the top of the bluff. We were supposed to be a city set on a hill between one of the busiest highways in America, underneath one of the busiest flight paths around some of the most densely populated St. Charles and St. Louis County and brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. We had good things happen through the 90s. We had good things happen through the 2000s, to be sure. Notable things, miracle, milestone things, but they're all just little test runs for what lies ahead. And this is where you come in. Your prayer matters. Your tenacity matters. Some of you had to overcome COVID and now you're back, you could hardly breathe, you got back, you're healthy now, you're not contagious and you won. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And your, your testimony, your story is interesting. Some of the things you've been through, you know, periods of time, you know, I know some people who were honest with me, got offended, it let them move them. Uh, you know, Paul said, nothing moves me. What moves you? You know, we gotta be moved by the Holy Spirit only. And, and this is a transitional time. If we're led by the Holy Spirit in this moment and we decide to be unoffendable by people, by, by setbacks, or by circumstances of all kinds, and we get our eyes on Jesus and we keep our eyes, and we don't let that fester, a little of that leaven, a leaven the whole lump. If we don't let that fester, we're gonna see the Lord restore our fortunes twofold like he did Job when he prayed for his friends. Some of you feel like you've been through some stuff. No hands up. Some of you feel like, man, I'd love to have some restoration. I'm telling you, God is bringing restoration. This is, a year, this is a season of refreshing right now. Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's all stand up on our feet. And as you do, stretch your hands. Don't, don't unplug with me right now. This is the part where the Lord ministers to you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray the fire of God comes into hearts and minds. I pray the joy of the Lord. Who in here marriage-wise, you've had your marriage restored a time or two? Let me see your hands. You guys are heroes to me. You may not feel heroic, you may know it's all the grace of God, but that's the heroism of it. But you stuck with God. You obeyed God. And I'm never forgetting it. And I honor you for that. And I'm grateful for your testimony. You inspire me. You help me get up in the morning. And that's just one example. You're so wanting to know what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to tell you. It's private. But God has his hand on your life. Look at somebody next to you and say, the Lord's restoring you. Look at somebody else and say, the Lord's refining you. Say, the Lord's walking me through this ridiculous situation I've been through. And he's going to turn things around. My kids are going to turn out great. They're going to serve God. They're going to live on fire. It's not going to be goofy or flaky. They're going to be rooted and grounded. And they're going to have longevity. 
They're going to be sustained with a willing spirit. The joy of the Lord has been and always will be our strength. God's plans are coming to pass in my life. God is preparing a way for me. And I shall by all means possess the land. In Jesus' name, amen.